available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, there was an increase in calls to the farm stress line last year. The pandemic was partly responsible for that, but depression, isolation, addictions and family disputes can happen throughout the year, any year. Jan Thorson is the acting executive director of Saskatchewan Mobile Crisis Services, which oversees the Farm Stress Line. The line is open 24 hours a day and seven days a week and has been operational for almost 50 years. Thorson says many farmers are reluctant to call for help, but she urges them to just give it a try. In order to deal with concerns about food insecurity or simply finding a way to spend some time during the pandemic, many people found comfort in their gardens. Vanessa Young is the Horticulture and Agriculture Lifelong Learning Program lead with the University of Saskatchewan. She says we have a very old-fashioned view about gardening and a no-till approach may be a good option for you, especially if you're tired of pulling weeds. Vanessa will explain how mulch plays an important role in a no-till garden. It's a lot of work the first year, but is certainly worth it. After the break, Jan Thorson. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. I'm speaking with Jan Thorson, who is the Acting Executive Director of the Farm Stress Line. Jan, thanks so much for joining us today. And first of all, tell us about uh, the Farm Stress Line and who is involved with it. Okay. Um, The larger organization is Mobile Crisis Services. We opened in 1973, and we've been providing um, telephone and in-person crisis intervention services since then. Uh, In matter of fact, we have not closed our doors once in those years. So that's, I think we're coming up to 48 years. Yeah, 48 years of um, continuous operation. We picked up the farm stress line in 2012 from the Ministry of Agriculture, and we provide mental health counseling on an emergency basis to anyone who calls that line. We don't provide farming information because we don't have that expertise, but we have a referral service that we give to people if that's what they're looking for. Otherwise, we're in a position to assist them with crisis situations, anything they feel they need to talk about on an immediate level, we're here 24 hours a day. When you get a phone call, what is the process for someone who perhaps hasn't called the line before and is has been thinking about reaching out? Give us a sense of how you talk them through what's going on in their lives and how you mm-hmm. then evaluate how to uh, process it and where to send them on if, if right. they need that help. Well, we let the client direct the conversation. Typically, if you call any of our lines and the farm stress line, the counselor is going to say to you, how can I help you? And then from that, whatever statement the client makes to us, then we'll start to explore that um, and get them to tell us what's going on with them, what they've tried in the past, what they felt has worked, what hasn't worked, and then talk. we'll talk with them. We always try before we end a conversation to make sure we've made a referral for someone so that they have access to a longer-term service than we provide or are able to provide so that they've got somewhere to follow up, and we always invite people to call us back if they wish to. What would you say would be some of the main concerns that are brought forward during your calls? Well, I mean, the general category of mental health covers a lot of issues, but, you know, farmers... 
people in the agricultural community have some pretty specific worries that are outside of their control. So things like weather, um, drought, those kinds of things are all big factors in agriculture that people don't have any control of. And they can be very um, distressing when you're dealing with a business and you have no control over some of those big elements. And after that, people in agriculture face the same issues everyone else does. Um, Marital stress, addictions issues, general mental health issues, sometimes more serious psychiatric issues. Um, It's just a whole gamut of issues, and we're quite able to discuss anything, anything in those areas that the client wishes to discuss. The pandemic has certainly raised the level of uh, anxiety uh, and Mm -hmm. concerns for a lot of people. Uh, Is this something that you're noting in calls from 2020? We were in the beginning. In the first few months, we saw a lot of that. Um, What we're finding now is people, when they call us, are somewhat calmer, but a lot of people have hooked into regular counselors now. Um, and so they don't have the need for our service. What we might see typically now with a client is if they were up in the middle of the night stressed about something, they might phone us on an emergency basis just to have us help them walk through whatever the issue is. But many, many people have um, turned to longer-term counseling, which is something we encourage. Now, I understand that you're in the process of um, getting a new system going that you're, that's going to help you track some data. And uh, mm-hmm. tell us about that and what you hope to gain from that information. We are in the process of implementing a new database, which will allow us to track more quickly and precisely the kinds of trends that we're seeing with our clients. Our old system is very cumbersome and not not really um, designed for the kinds of things we're seeing today. So we're hoping to have that up and running very shortly. And that will allow us to to be able to pull out that information really quickly. Um, so we'll be able to see, is there a trend towards, say, ad- more addictions calls or more domestic violence calls? Those kinds of things that will help us make sure that our staff have the training they need to respond to those kinds of issues. Our staff are professional and trained, but we try to do ongoing training with them to make sure they're always up to speed. So it will just help us provide um, a more full experience for the clients when they call if we have a better idea of what, what the current zeitgeist is in the community. I think it's important um, as as people are going through what they go through in every individual situation and every individual is different about, mm-hmm. uh, can you offer any advice for producers as far as the things that they can do on their own that will help to alleviate some stress? Like, you know, for me, it would automatically be a chocolate bar. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my deal. But is there something that, that when they call in that they can actually, you know, that that you can offer to them mm-hmm. immediately? Well, Alice, I would join you in the chocolate bar. That would be my <laughs> big vice, too. Um, you know, and, and just using that as an example, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it doesn't become a habit, right? You can't have a chocolate bar every day or you're, unless you're prepared to gain some weight. What we would try to do if someone was really needing some immediate advice on how to manage mental health is we would try to discuss with them what kind of free time they have. What, 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 what brings them happiness and joy and contentment? Is it um, going for a walk? Is it knitting? Is it playing a video game? In our busy, stressful world, can you carve out time for some of those things? 
to make sure that you're giving yourself that that very much needed downtime, a break from your worries, doing something you find satisfying and fulfilling. For most people with general problems, that's probably one of the most important things you can do. Another way to say it is self-care every day. And what does self-care look like for you? Uh, tell me a little bit about um, what's been happening with the... Uh with the mobile crisis center and the farm stress line and in the last year there's a few things that it sounds like you wanted to roll out but the pandemic hit so what's what's happening with your organization it's it's been a frustrating year i mean we i think we here at the crisis center share the frustrations of the bigger community we had planned this last year in um, 2020 we had a very ambitious plan to attend all the farm shows in the province to do a lot of community outreach, get our message out to smaller communities, talk to farm and agricultural groups whenever we had an opportunity or were invited. And then the pandemic hit. And so none of those things were possible for us. Um, and we, again, had great hopes that that would return this year, and it doesn't look like it's going to, although there will be some, some um, online forums, I understand. Uh, so we're looking forward to hearing more information about that. But... In the, in the absence of those opportunities to get out into the community and meet people directly, we'd encourage people to call us. Even if you've never called us before, just call us and give it a try. I think you'll be ple- people will be pleasantly surprised. We're here to help and support, not to judge, to just make sure that you can get through that day and get to the next point of care. For anyone who is feeling the need or it's just a good time to have a chat and have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Tell us uh, how we can get information and how we can reach you. Well, we have a website. Um, We have several websites. As a matter of fact, we have three. We have the General Mobile Crisis Services website and um, then we have one for our Saskatchewan Problem Gambling Helpline. Uh, And the third one is the Farm Stress Line. We have a dedicated website that's full of resources and those are all available 24 hours a day. And we're also available by phone. If you're in the city, you're welcome to walk into the office. Um, but for most people, it's probably more likely that they're going to call the farm stress line. And let me just give you that number. That number is 1-800-667-4442. And that's available 24 hours a day. Jan, was there anything else that you wanted to add that we should touch on? No, I think I think the big thing that I always like to emphasize is just just try it. I learned I learned a long time ago when I was a frontline worker that people can really fear. Um, there's a in some cases some people think that you know a counselor is going to somehow crawl around their brain and start picking at the scabs in there, right? The areas that are sensitive for us that we don't want to talk about, and that's not at all what we do. Give it a try. My staff are trained. They're gentle. They're going to probe, but in a kind, respectful way. There's nothing to fear by calling us. It it cannot hurt to call us, and it may just help. Jan Thorson is the Acting Executive Director of Saskatchewan Mobile Crisis Services, which oversees the Farm Stress Line. After the break, Vanessa Young with the University of Saskatchewan will talk about gardening on the prairies and some options for you if you're tired of pulling weeds. 
Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Vanessa Young is with the Horticulture and Agriculture Lifelong Learning Programs at the University of Saskatchewan. Vanessa, in our last episode, we just nicely got started talking about no-till gardens and the use of mulch and, and all the benefits and how it can help your soil. And I do want to talk about that a little bit more, but I really want to talk more as well about reducing weeding time, which I think is a really big deal for people. They get so excited about their gardens right off the start, and then the weeds come on and they get really frustrated. And you also shared a story with me uh, prior to this about someone that you know that's really embraced this no-till concept, and I think it's a really important uh, story to share. I've got a friend of mine, she's a single parent, she's got five kids, um, and she feeds her whole family on her garden. It's a 26,000 square foot garden, which is huge by my standards, probably not huge by farming standards, but realize that she manages this garden while working full time and still has enough produce left over to sell as uh, community boxes and stuff like that. And she doesn't, ma- she doesn't have to water her garden at all ever because of the way the water system has changed for having mulch year after year because all of the snow gets captured, all of the rain gets captured and it's really been a transformative system um, for the amount of work that it is to get that much bounty off of a small space because it's you're not a slave to watering, you're not a slave to weeding, your stuff is starting to grow a little bit more naturally so that really does make a huge difference um, for the inputs and outputs that you're going to get out of a system like that. It's a really practical approach. Um, There's different mulches you could look at using for any mulch to be really effective um, for this type of gardening. Um, It needs to be at least four inches thick. Four to six is probably your sweet spot in there. If you go two inches, you're actually going to create more problems than you're solving. So you really have to look at the thickness because it's this thickness that's able to allow the capture of the water, the blocking of the sun, which is critical, and the uh, the breakdown over the season. So four to six is your, your goal here. You'd be looking at using well-rotted straw. So those bales you have in the back 40 that are falling apart, those are ideal for something like this because then you're not importing weed seeds or anything like that into it. Um, Arborist wood chips work extraordinarily well, especially for pathways or surfaces where you're going to be walking on a lot. Because, again, we're trying to protect our soil and avoid the the compaction that goes with that. So your arborist wood chips, that's going to be get whatever you get out of a chipper, um, whether it's pine or whether it's a conifer, deciduous, fresh, old. It really doesn't matter. Wood chips are wood chips. As long as when you pick up a handful of them, you're getting like 20 pieces. It's not going to be like 400 pieces. So you need it to be a certain chunkiness, um, like popcorn or slightly bigger than popcorn. But we don't want those chunks. So if you pick it up and you're only getting like one or three or five pieces, that's too big a pieces. When you're, um, you've got your garden planted, you grow this amazing garden, uh, you're feeding all your neighbors, everybody's happy. Uh, and when, when you get to the end of the season, now that you, you know, you've harvested all this great produce, when you're going with this method of, of using mulch, what does fall look like for you? What happens with your garden then as far as the work you do in the fall to prepare for the next growing season? 
Well, it really depends on what you want your fall to look like. And there are times when it makes sense to till. Like if I've got a lot of, uh, for example, a lot of root, a lot of pests that live in the soil um, that will overwinter there, I might actually till. Um, depending on what mulch I'm using, uh, I might just till the mulch directly into the soil. I would never, never, never till wood chips into the soil, um, large volumes of straw or something like that. I wouldn't till into the soil. But if I was, say, mulching with leaves or grass or something like that, I might just till that directly into the soil. I will almost never do that. That would be an exceptional year where I'd actually till. Every other year, I would... I would harvest all my crops and then if it wasn't something that I was going to leave standing for the winter and almost everything I leave standing for the winter because um, it's just going to break down in place. It's going to just contribute. It'll be more mulch next year, quite honestly. Um, but if it's something that I want to take down, I will get out a pair of pruning shears and I'll just cut it off at the surface layer. There's no point in pulling it all out because if we're leaving all of the stuff in the soil, all of the roots are going to break down and decompose in place and they're going to actually start to help with aggregate formation deep into the soil. It's going to help with water percolation. It's going to help break up the hard pan. Um, so these roots are actually doing really important work and pulling them out isn't helping you in the long run. So if you just cut them off at the surface level and if they're still, if they still happen to be there when you go to plant next year, just plant slightly to the left of them or to the right of them or just like a little bit away from them, they're not going to cause that many issues. So really you absolutely back off from tilling altogether in this type of situation and you back off from disturbing the soil in any way it is going to be so hard the first year like i'm not going to kid you like everything has a trade-off and it's really easy to approach a garden where you just till it all and start with a blank slate every year that's an approach we understand and that's a really straightforward approach to gardening um the no-till is so much work the very first year you do it um, that it really scares a lot of people off. And I understand it. I mean, I, I used to till like I was a Mennonite settler and I had this black soil and it had to be perfectly black and I had to water it every day and all that. Like I grew up in that mentality. Um, but as I've learned more and I've practiced more things and um, I've learned about how things grow and how nature works i've started to understand that yes this actual upfront work is totally worth it and where it's gotten me to after doing this for years and years and years it's actually really stupid easy to plant my garden now because the soil is there i can dig into it with my hand i can um i know that i'm not going to have all these diseases i don't spend any time weeding do you know how much i weeded last year when i weed out and I just kick things slightly with my foot and it flops over in the mulch and then it becomes mulch like it's really no effort at all if I had a soil that had lots of weed seeds in it and like I mean I've been weeding for years so I'm going to be in a little bit better state than somebody who's just starting this uh, when you weed in a mulch situation your big long tap roots will pull out just like butter and it sounds too good to be true, but I've, I mean, I've got pictures. I'd love to be able to show you all the pictures we have. It's really easy to weed in that situation. So you can get the weeds out easier and you need to do that. Like you still will need to weed for the first little bit, but the most amount of work comes from actually setting up the mulch in the garden to begin with. But realize you're just doing that once. Um, you'll have to top up the mulch from time to time because you want to keep it at that four to six inches. 
but the big amount of work to set it all up, you're going to you're going to work your butt off, but you're going to work your butt off for one season and then you're going to start to reap the rewards and it's going to get better every year as your soil heals. Are there any other don'ts out there that people shouldn't be doing when they're uh, kind of trying to concentrate on a no-till garden? Um, We don't recommend landscape fabric. Uh, Landscape fabric in this whole system is going to cause problems. We also don't recommend using cardboard as a mulch. Um, Both of these things have a lot of inherent problems in them, and they're both pretty popular practices that you'll see Um, when I look at things and I decide what's the best practice I'm going to see how many problems does this suggestion create and how many problems does it solve and what's the most practical solution and cardboard and landscape fabric both fail in a number of ways so we don't ever recommend those as best practice approaches you could still have success with it it's just they're completely unnecessary and they do create more problems than they solve so don't use them when you're looking at multi um, if you're going to be doing leaves, you need to run your leaves through a lawnmower or something to break them up or they're going to start to mat. Um, if you're doing grass, uh, you might want to have it dry out. And these weeds, or grass and leaves are going to blow around, especially on an acre situation. So they might not be the best choice for you. They're also going to attract slugs. So we don't really... Grass and leaves are really good if you don't have any other options. And I still use grass and leaves mulch myself, um, but I don't have a slug problem because of all of the other things I do in my yard. If But if you've got a yard where you've got lots of green grass and lots of wet places and lots of slugs that are naturally going to be in there anyways, you're going to have a slug problem in your garden regardless. So you don't want to make that slug problem worse. I don't have grass anywhere on my yard. I've got it all down to mulch and flowers and shrubs and stuff like that. So I don't have a slug problem. I can mulch with whatever I want, but it I don't know your situation. So every situation is going to be a little bit different. Um, if you do have a slug problem, straw is going to be better than hay will be because just because of moisture content and weed content, uh, you want stuff that's broken down quite a bit because, again, we don't want to be importing these uh, weed seeds to it. The best number one mulch for avoiding slugs is going to be your wood chips, your arborist wood chips. And that will be, this is true whether it's in the garden or whether it's in your flower beds. And those of us who garden with flower beds, uh, you probably see a lot of parallels between flower bed gardening and vegetable gardening in this scenario because they are very, very similar. Um, Your woody mulch is going to not necessarily kill slugs because you could roll slugs um, across razor blades as long as you didn't push down on them like they can crawl across the edge of a knife you can roll them like a jelly donut in diatomaceous earth and they're they're going to just roll out of it because that's what their mucus is for um, so these these scratchy type mulches aren't going to damage the slugs at all but what they do is they become habitat for beneficial insects that eat slug eggs so nothing's really going to eat the slug itself but a lot of things will eat the eggs and that will allow you to control the amount of slugs that you have in your yard if you can keep their population numbers under control. I'm not saying you'll never have a slug again because you will. That's just what's happening with our climate right now. But you can definitely control the numbers. So they're not creating a bunch of issues for you. 
And you've got a great website, lots of fantastic information there, too, that uh, people can do all their reading. Lots of free information on our website about how to no-till garden and how to use mulches. We also have a class coming up. Um, I remember I told you about my friend with the uh, 26,000 square foot garden. We have, she's teaching a class for us on how she manages her garden out on an acreage with no water and um, she's not a slave to her garden. Um, so she's doing a class on that. It's 20 bucks for a two hour class walking through her whole system. And I'll also do a bit walking through my garden in my backyard so people see a little bit of a, a different kind of approach to the same type of gardening, so to the no-till heavy mulch gardening. And we invite people to take that to us. $20 for two hours. It's May 6th. And we've got lots of free stuff coming up. Um, it's also our department's 100-year anniversary celebration. So we've got a lot of um, really cool workshops coming up around that, too. And good, some interesting speakers coming up as we look at the history of uh, plant sciences, of horticulture, specifically on prairies. Vanessa Young is with the Horticulture and Agriculture Lifelong Learning Programs with the University of Saskatchewan. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of April 5th, 2021. A grain market analyst said that wheat prices could move higher over the next few months. Neil Townsend with FarmLink Marketing Solutions said strong demand from Southeast Asia and concerns about dryness in North America are pushing up the wheat markets. Townsend is projecting canola acres will reach 21.8 million acres this year. And while canola prices may be off peak prices, they should still sell in the $17 to $18 a bushel range. Several dairy farmers responded to the federal government's compensation package to supply-managed sectors for market access concessions made under the recent trade deals. Agriculture Minister Marie Glombibo said roughly 9,600 dairy farmers registered to the second year of the Dairy Direct Payment Program. The payments will total over $450 million. The federal government made $813 million available to Canadian dairy producers under the first two years of the $1.75 billion program. New research showed Canadian farmers suffered lost earnings of $2.9 billion last year due to labour shortages as a result of the pandemic. The Canadian Agricultural Human Resource Council completed a nationwide survey and series of interviews of agricultural producers. Executive Director Portia McDonald-Dewhurst said the losses were equivalent to 4.2% of the sector's total sales. According to the report, two in five employers surveyed were not able to find all the work they needed. Of these, 60% experienced production delays and lost sales. 70% of employers also reported fewer Canadians applied for ag-related jobs. The U.S. Department of Agriculture released its prospective plantings report. The USDA said farmers will plant fewer acres of corn and soybeans than was expected, but the increase will be smaller than what the market was anticipating. As a result, prices moved higher in response to the report.
The results of the Canadian Grain Commission's Harvest Sample Program were released. Program manager Carrie Pulaskic said there was about a 35% return rate of the sample envelopes that they sent out, which is a little higher than the past two years. She says 80% of the wheat samples were graded number one or two, while 90% of canola was graded at number one. The results of a survey conducted to gather information on crop production issues of greatest concern to prairie farmers was released. The report, commissioned by the Western Grains Research Foundation, said there's general agreement that farms will continue to get larger and the major crops will be canola, wheat and pulses. Executive Director Garth Patterson said there were some divergent views on the role of smaller acreage crops. A series of workshops would be scheduled later in the year to set future funding initiatives. A Canadian company has been awarded a U.S. patent on their Swatbox proprietary soil mapping technology. Croptimistic Technology received the patent on its Swatbox. The system is an autonomous soil, electric, conductivity and elevation mapping hardware system that collects the data used to create soil, water and topography maps. Croptimistic VP of Research and Development Derek Rood said a key feature is no user interaction is required. As soon as the sensor starts moving, data is automatically logged and uploaded to the SWAT record server where the data is used for the creation of management zone maps. A multi-agency research team led by a University of Saskatchewan veterinary biologist will look for ways to expand Canada's beef industry. The Canada Foundation for Innovation awarded $6.75 million for Dr. Greg Adams' research project, with another $10 million expected from institutions and private industry. The first step is monitoring cattle herds and pastures in close confinement and linking the information with gene markers for desired traits. Researchers are also using genomics to develop rapid diagnostic tools for diseases. The goal is to make it easier for producers to breed animals with better meat, strong disease immunity, healthy reproductive traits and heavier calf weights at weaning. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.